Good afternoon, and welcome to the Carolina Codecast. Today is a very special episode. It's a compilation episode with John Warner. John was originally supposed to be our second episode back in September, whenever we first started the podcast, uh, as the Innoventure Futures Festival that he ran was about to start. Um, unfortunately, there was a power failure in the middle of the of the uh, recording. And as I was just getting started with these tools and learning how to put the podcast together to publish it, um, I was not able to get it edited and published in time ahead of the uh, initial Futures Festival. So we had John back on the show in November to give us a recap of how everything went and what the future of the Innoventure Futures Festival looked like. Um, And so uh, today you're going to hear that compilation episode today. Uh, John is a guy who's been an advocate for... um, for the economic development of the upstate for many, many years, and it's a worthwhile listen. I hope you enjoy. Good afternoon again, and welcome back to the Carolina Codecast again with John Warner. Uh, as mentioned earlier, this is the the recap of the Innoventure Futures Festival that happened back in September of this year. Uh, we were not able to get the original interview out ahead of the event, and so we decided to have John back on so he could have a recap and talk about uh, what happened with the event this year and what's going on in the future. Welcome back to the show, John. Good to be here. Thanks for coming back. So so how did everything go this year? How, did, how was an adventure this year? You know, we were pretty pleased. Um, we started, we had four different planning meetings leading up to the September event. Uh, you know, we got to June. We weren't really sure we were going to be able to do it because we didn't have enough sponsors. Uh, started talking about, well, maybe this wasn't realistic. And then all of a sudden, a uh, whole, fo- whole bunch of folks came on board. And so we were able to pull it off. But what that meant is we had to do it in about 60 days. So we ended up having about 150 people participate, um, you know, industry, um, academia, entrepreneurs, economic development. Um, so I think the people that came were impressed. You know, they got a little bit of taste of some technology, some art, some music. You know, we, we had a couple of um, art from musicians, you know, performing jazz during our breaks. We had oh, nice. several artists with exhibits, which was kind of cool. We had some inspirational things like, you know, the, the um, dance of bioengineering by Delphine Dean. She's a Ph.D. from MIT. She chairs the bioengineering at Clemson. She's also a ballet dancer. Oh, and wow. John Sterling, who talked about the jazz of sales. I mean, he's a, one of the best serial entrepreneurs in town. Um, but he's also a sax player and he busked downtown on Friday nights. And so it was fun. And I think people kind of got what we were talking about. And um, so, you know, now where do we go from here? That's, that is a really interesting way to, to pull everything together there. So where, where do you go from here? Are there plans for next year already? Well, that's a really good idea. Um, so, you know, we've kind of followed up with, the major organizations that participated. And of course, if we're going to do something in 2024, we're going to have some money, right? Somebody's got to say, Hey, this is a good idea. And so we've really started focusing on this as kind of a business development opportunity for the sponsors. Um, you know, we, we looked into South by Southwest, which was kind of our inspiration. And right. the question was, where did they come from? And what we found out was the first year, it was all about connecting the kind of eclectic music scene in Austin to the music producers. I mean, it was a business development opportunity. Now, it was all about music because that live music in Austin was a big thing. But, yeah. you know, really at its core, it was about business, the business of music. 
And so, you know, we've kind of taken inspiration of that and said, you know, we need to be the same thing. And so, you know, what are we best in class here? It's in advanced manufacturing and logistics and things like that. And so we've kind of boiled that down and says, you know what we do? We make and move things here. You know, yeah. whether it's BMW making cars or G making power turbines, you know, or Robert Bosch making hydraulic pumps. Um, we make and move things. You know, you talk about that. making in our medical devices, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it's about making them, um, you know, monitoring you and I moving around. So uh, it's a common thing that we think can rally, you know, the, the region. That's uh, that's actually really catchy, make and move. I like that. I'm on, yeah. I'm, I'm going to use that if you don't mind. <laughs> no, that's not. We want you. We want you to use it. We want everybody to use it. And what's kind of I, what's kind of cool about it is it's simple enough to remember, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the next person you talk to, you can say, "What we do here is make and move things," mm-hmm. and you can remember it. Now, you know what? Here's the other thing cool about it. If we talk to somebody in Munich or some in Claremont, Ferrand, or Taipei, Taiwan, guess what? You know, they'd hear that we make and move things, and they'd say, "Yeah, that's what those guys do." So, you know, it's credible globally. You know, that, that's what we do. Now, think about making and moving things and, and all the, you know, the, the um, information technology and the data around that. Yeah. Um, think about, you know, all the advances in AI and how that can impact a plant floor, how that can impact a supply chain. You know, so we just need Absolutely. to be the world leader in that. And I think we have the, the, you know, the ability to do that. And I know you kind of run your code school. And, you know, we not not code school. We're not affiliated with the code school. The conference. Right. It's an it's an unfortunate name overlap where the Carolina Code Conference and the Carolina Code School. Carolina Code Conference. OK. All, all, often confused. But uh, but no, we're not related at all. The Code Conference. OK. So yep. that's what I meant to say. And um, so, you know, the, the question is, where do the folks that participate in your code conference overlap? Yeah. With advanced manufacturing and. Uh, supply chains and things like that. And, um, you know, now take, you know, each of the organizations is active in our region and try to find, you know, put the Venn diagram together, you know, what's the center of that. Yeah. That's that's actually really trying to do right now. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you mention it like that, I don't know if they're still around, but there was a, I remember there was a logistics company around here called M33 um, that uh, I remember got on my radar years ago. And one of the reasons they got on my radar as a programmer was because they were using a language called Groovy that is a, you know, not really a mainstream programming language, but it runs on the, on the Java virtual machine. And it's uh, which is a, of course, a, hu- uh, a huge ecosystem of languages. And uh, I was really interested in that language at the time. And I found the company because they were using an interesting language. <laughs> But uh, one, one of the M33 founders that I knew was a great guy, Sammy Riddle. Okay. And, you know, M33 has now been sold, right? Uh, yep. Sammy's still around and his partners are still around. And I think that's one of the real opportunities for us here is when we can find those serial entrepreneurs. Nice. People that have been successful one time. And, you know, he, he did all right. So he's got some resources to be an angel investor and maybe, you know, reach back out to him and invest in the next generation of, companies that make and move things because that's definitely what they did, right? They trek less than truckload um, uh, routes all over the country. Absolutely. And so he knows he's an expert. He knows something, got a lot of relationships and that's the kind of smart money you'd like investing in the next generation of these companies. And so that's the kind of depth that I think we have here and, and the opportunity for us going forward. 
Nice. I might have to, to get you to introduce me to him. He'd probably be a fun interview on here as well. Um, well, you know, that's so, one of the advantages of having done this a long time. Yep. You know, and just, you know, a lot of people over You got that Rolodex. I went, well, it's not just a Rolodex. It's just you live through a lot of it. I went yeah, on a walk true. with Jack Sterling. Excuse me. I went on a walk with John Sterling this past weekend, and John is Jack's son, and we were talking about his father. You know, and I remember back in the early 80s when he had a venture fund. It was called Reedy River Ventures, and it was a small business investment corporation. And okay. you know, he ultimately uh, left to be uh, um, the president of the Palmetto Seed Capital Fund. And, and they made an investment in Corporate Telemanagement Group, which was one of the most you know successful venture-backed companies in South Carolina history. And John really? said, you know, there just aren't too many people that would remember all that history. <laughs> I said, well, I'm just a long, long time, man. I've been it doing sounds like you need to be starting here. a podcast. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, so when's the? Do you have any dates lined up for for next year for the Futures Festival? Well, the Future Festival itself, you know, we would like to be a multi-day, multi-venue event, and we're thinking about um, kind of the middle of um, October, maybe the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday after Fall for Greenville. So okay. You know, come for the weekend, do fall for Greenville, and then, you know, spend a day or two with us at our Futures Festival. That's a great idea. We're also thinking about maybe doing something in the spring and in April. Um, And that's a very new idea. So I don't have a lot of details about that. But it's, you know, we need to start to create a sense of urgency, right? I mean, you know, we need to rally the troops and, hey, we're going to have another event in April. And so we need to get everybody together. And, you know, imagine if, if it was the September event where we had 150 people um, and it was bigger and it was more comprehensive, we, right? We, we've got the university centers more engaged, ICAR and the center, the AI um, Institute at Clemson and right. you know, the Center for Advanced Manufacturing, you know, the AI Institute at the University of South Carolina. We got people more engaged, you know, then we have the companies involved. So, we, you know, the thing that really worked well in September was them saying, you know, here's what our innovation needs are. You know, here's what our problems are. Now, think about being a technology provider and, you know, hearing a bunch of companies saying, here's my problems. You know, right. that, that's a, um, a low-hanging fruit for you, isn't it? A target-rich environment. And, yeah, and so then absolutely. make sure the economic developers are involved because we want to – so a great example of, I think, an opportunity is ZF. They just made an announcement for, a you know, half a billion-dollar investment in Drakeport, wow. you know, expand their factory into – um, uh, e-mobility kind of solutions. Well, you know what? They also need an innovation center here. I mean, we have ICAR, and they need to be right next door building relationships with the faculty and the students. And so, you know, leverage this, you know, world-class manufacturing facility they have to begin to move Absolutely. up the chain with them and, you know, have an innovation center here. So we want to make sure we connect the technology companies with, um the manufacturers and logistics organizations, that's business development. For the students, you know, maybe it's a career opportunity. You know, we want um, we want ICAR students going to work for ZF. We just want them going to work for ZF here instead of having to go to Germany. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, and then for the economic developers, it's an opportunity to, you know, locate innovation centers, headquarters here, you know, create jobs you know, for skilled workers, but also for university graduates, make sure we, you know, we retain those ICAR students when they graduate, they don't have to leave the state to find a job. So. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's uh, definitely a noble goal. I mean, one of the side effects, at least in my industry, you know, the just the 
the technology and software side of things is that almost everybody in my industry has a lot of remote opportunities available to them. And so it's very easy for people in, in this field to live and work around Greenville while working remotely for a lot of companies all over the place. And we've, we've kind of seen a, a good, a, a real uptick in that since COVID, since so many companies went almost, uh, went much more heavily remote after that. But in, uh, Oh, both my children work remotely. So I get that. And I'm yeah. glad to do because they get to live in Greenville and, you know, work for companies or headquarters somewhere else. But really around here, I think at the end of the day, what we do is make and move things that are Agreed. physical, right? And we make cars, we make yeah. power turbines, you know, we make hydraulic pumps and those are physical. And yeah. you got to be there while, for those. Yeah. While I don't underestimate how important working remotely is, I think our real sweet spot, there is a term mechatronics, which is a bit of a buzzword, but it's kind of the intersection of, mechanical engineering, chemical engineering, biomedical engineering with computer science and information technology. And, and that's our real strength, I think, is, you know, where you start to combine digital and the physical. Uh, you know, again, you think about the manufacturing base, logistics base we have. Um, and, you know, so, um, you know, the IT people can probably still work remotely in that scenario, but somebody's got to work you know, on the, on the assembly line. Oh, absolutely. Right. That's not a remote job. That's yeah. And you don't do economic development by going, Hey, we've got, you know, a great place for you to work remote. You do economic development by making sure there are jobs for people who are actually here. Well, I mean, I think the city of Greenville's benefited from a lot of people working remotely, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Definitely. So per capita income and educational attainment in the city of Greenville now matches Austin, Texas and Raleigh, North Carolina. How about that? That's pretty amazing. That is, that is pretty amazing. I believe that, too. My children live here, and, and they both work remotely. Now, I mean, they get on a plane and fly places a lot, too. That's part of the reason they can live in Greenville, because once a lot of your work is on a plane, what difference does it make anymore? Um, so, you know, I think that has helped Greenville boom, you know, that whole remote aspect. But when it comes to making things, it's a little bit harder to, to do that remotely. Yep. You, know, you kind of got to be there because there's something physical involved in it. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, when you really start to think about where are we distinctive, I mean, where would somebody in Munich or Claremont Ferrand or Taipei look at us and say, hey, they're best in class. I really think it comes down to making it move and things. I think I think that's probably very accurate for this region as well. And, you know, with the logistics program and the manufacturing and supply chain uh, options that are out there educationally around here from Clemson, not just from Clemson, but from the surrounding areas as well. I and mean, we've got, yeah, as you were talking earlier, before we actually started the recording, we've got within three hours of us, uh, a lot of research institutions. Yeah, we've got uh, six research universities within three hours of Greenville. I don't think most people realize that. Yeah. So you got the University of Tennessee in Knoxville, you got UNC Charlotte, and if you hadn't have been there, that's an impressive campus. You got University of South Carolina, you got Clemson University, you got University of Georgia, and you got Georgia Tech. Yep. All of those are within three hours. And so, you know, kind of pulling that together. And then you take the world class manufacturers that we have, you know, Michelin and BMW and Bosch and ZF and, and folks like that. And we really do have the ability to be distinctive in the world in, in this area. Mm -hmm. And that's what excites me. And, you know, just kind of turning the light on for people. Uh, you know, it, it takes a while. Um, cultural change is hard. 
But I think we're starting to get there. I'm starting to hear more and more people say, hey, you know, we really need to re-envision economic development if we're going to get ourselves to the next level. Absolutely. All right. So uh, last things, wrapping up, what, what was your favorite memory of Interventure this year, the Interventure Futures Festival this year? You know, I just I think it was the diversity of the people that were there, all the way from young people, you know, students to folks with gray hair like me, um, men and women, people in academia, industry, um, economic development. And I think the folks that self-selected in, you know, we had music and we had art and we had inspirational presentations. So it was a real creative group of people, innovators, entrepreneurs. And so while on the one hand, it seems like there was a lot of diversity there, what we all had in common is we put together that agenda and everybody self-selected and showing up. And I think we found out we had a lot more in common than we thought. And, and that was really uh, rewarding and kind of inspiring to keep going and see if we can't get this to another level. Absolutely. All right. And last question I got to ask, because it's game week, I, th this podcast isn't going to run before the game happens, but predictions for, for the game, the Palmetto Bowl, the Clemson, South Carolina game, what, what, what are you thinking for the score? I don't know what the score is, but I'm pretty optimistic about my Tigers over the last few weeks. They've yep. Dabo's got them, got their attention, and uh, I think we owe a lot of credit to Tyler. Yeah, um, we do. Thank you, Tyler and Spartanburg. He got them, got them motivated, <laughs> and you know they've they've really got their act together the last thir three or four weeks. And you know I think we're going to prevail down in Columbia. So yeah, you know it's it's going to be a good game. Uh, I don't think either. Either team has kind of performed up to their expectations at the beginning of the year. So both of yeah. them have a lot to prove. And, you know, it's, it's maybe more important in, in, in some other years. So go Tigers. Go Tigers. All right. We'll hope we'll pull them out. If it's uh, if we don't, I've been talking a lot of trash. and I'm going to be hearing about it. But <laughs> you're, you're going to hear about it if we lose one way or the other. So that's true. We might as well win. And exactly. Just be might as well win. All right. Thanks for coming back, John. This has been the Carolina Codecast. Yeah. Well, that concludes the interview from November. And now if you'll stick with us, you can listen to the interview from September as we were leading up to the Intermetry Futures Festival. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Carolina Codecast. I'm here today with John Warner talking about the Innoventure Futures Festival. Hey, so, how are you, John? Welcome to the show. Uh, what are you doing these days? Well, the biggest thing I'm working on right now is the Interventure Futures Festival. So it's coming up September the 22nd. It'll be the afternoon. That's a Friday. Okay. And what we're trying to do is, is take the first step in developing our regional innovation ecosystem. So we're, we've got some big organizations coming, and, and they're going to talk about what their needs are. Um, and then we've got some technology uh, providers and service providers who you know maybe can help meet those needs and you know a big part of the festival is kind of connecting people together but we did some planning back in the spring and a whole bunch of folks said don't make this a conference you know I go to a lot of conferences make it fun so we're gonna have some music and we have some good food um, we've got some pretty interesting presentations nice. you know we got a guy that plays the saxophone and he's going to talk about the jazz of sales, you know, the, how improvisation of both sales and jazz. We've got a, the chair of bioengineering at Clemson, Delphine Dean, and, and she's MIT PhD. 
She's also a ballet dancer, so she's going to talk about the dance of bioengineering. So we're going to do some fun stuff too. That is interesting. That that is that is going to be an interesting conference. I'm looking forward to it. I'm oh, actually I got you. a ticket, yeah, so I will be there. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it. So so what? Where did the this event come from? Where did the Future Fest come from? Um. Well, we. Uh, Last year, I applied for a National Science Foundation grant to fund the development of regional innovation ecosystem, and we actually made the first cut. Uh, we didn't ultimately get funded uh, anything. And I started talking to some of the big organizations. I uh, went to see uh, uh, Brent Westmoreland, who's an IT director at the BMW Information Technology Research Center, and <clears throat> we were talking right. about what the ecosystem he would like to see around him. And as I was walking out the door, he said, you know what I really want to see is South by Southwest in Greenville. And that's just all he had to say to me. So within a couple of weeks, you know, I've got the Interventor Futures Festival. <laughs> and then, so then the question is, a, you know, what is that? And so, you know, I started reaching out to people and we had three different planning meetings and, you know, starting to talk to what this might be. And, and so, one thing that evolved from that is what I just said is don't make it a conference, make it a festival. So, you know, art and music and uh, good food and, you know, some business. And then the other big thing that came out of it is what we really need is a festival of festivals. So not just kind of one event, but if, you know, South by Southwest is music and technology and a lot of things. So we couldn't pull that off in this fall. So... One of the things we're going to try to set up um, this year is a multi-day, multi-event festival in 2024. So imagine lots of organizations okay. working together, you know, maybe plant tours of, you know, some of the manufacturing facilities, maybe a tour of CUI car, uh, some entertainment. I, I mean, the Reedy Reels Festival, which is an inter independent film uh, festival, they're interested in working with us, so, so maybe... You know, there's some independent film during the week. Um, you know, maybe there's something. Sounds something like you're on to something. Centers working on, and so you know, we start to not only get people in Greenville engaged, but it's it becomes something that people from outside Greenville come and you know spend the week, and that starts to look and feel a little bit like South by Southwest, doesn't it? So, just to make sure that listeners know what that is, I mean, it's a big festival in Austin, Texas, and it's technology and arts and entertainment, you know, live music. And we're not going to, you know, we're not going to be Austin. We're going to be authentically us. But, you know, that same idea of, of mixing art and technology and entrepreneurship and innovation, you know, all kinds of activities that should like be that. both enlightening and fun. All right. And so this is not your, your first go round at, at organizing these types of events. You, uh, you previously organized InnoVenture. Not my itself. first rodeo. No, and it's not. <laughs> no. So, uh, so, so. Tell me about InnoVenture itself. Tell me about when that started and how long Well, it um, in the 90s, I ran an angel fund. It was called Capital Insights, and I raised about $15 million from 150 wealthy individuals in Greenville. We invested in a galactic mix of companies based on the skill set of the people that invested with us. And that worked great until 2000, and then you know, the technology bubble busted, and <laughs> some of my partners started saying, yeah. i got to get my money back before I can invest more. And um, the largest investor was the chief financial officer of Kemet, which was a New York stock exchange company. Uh, 
So I went to be um, VP of Strategy and Communication there for about five years, and you know, wanted to kind of get back into the venture business, and so. Um, I just came up with the idea of InnoVenture, and, and so we, we held the first one in 2004, and it was a venture capital conference. Uh, had a lot of good people there. The governor came, and he was our keynote speaker, and we had the largest VC firm in the southeast from Atlanta that was there. The president of both the University of South Carolina and Clemson came. I mean, it was, it was a big deal. Um, now and, small. And, uh, but at the end of the day, I'm talking to one of the associates in this big venture fund, and uh, you know we we're sharing a beer, and, and and I said, you know, how'd we do? And she said, oh, energy and enthusiasm, you get an A plus, but you know the quality of your companies, I'm not coming back. <laughs> well, that's all the wrong answer, wasn't it? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's a that's an important part of the entrepreneur's journey. On contact with customers, <laughs> plans change. You know, and in this case, the venture fund was, yep. was the customer, right? I mean, we were bringing them here, asking them to invest in something. So that, you know, that kind of sets me back and you start thinking, well, what she's interested in investing in is talent, you know, top talent in, in the upstate of South Carolina. Where is that? Well, it's in the big companies. It's in Michelin and GE and, and Milliken, Clemson. So um, I had a friend who was an executive at, at, um, at Michelin and I went to see him and said, you know, I want Michelin involved in InnoVenture 2005. <laughs> and he uh, he said, "Okay, John, you need Plan B because that ain't going to happen. We're very proprietary. We're very secretive. We're not, you know, we're not going to do that." And I said, "Why are you answering a question I didn't ask? I didn't ask if they would do it. I asked how to get them to do it." <laughs> so we left lunch, and and you know, a couple weeks later, he calls me back, and he says, "Somebody I need to introduce you to," and it was a fellow named Ralph Holzman. He was director of external research at Michelin. And so he came to InnoVenture 2005. We actually did it at the, what's now the Greenville Convention Center. So we had this exhibit hall, and Michelin had a right. big, exhi big exhibit. I mean, it could have been the tire display at Tire Kingdom. <laughs> I mean, that's about how much they disclosed, which was nothing, right? But you know what? They came. Um, uh, lightning didn't strike. The Michelin American Research Corporation didn't melt down. <laughs> Everything was okay. And so... You know, I took Ralph and we went over to Milliken. It's like, okay, Michelin did it, would Milliken do it? And we iterated our way to the right person there. And so the next year it was Michelin and Milliken. And then soon it was GE was involved and Blue Cross was involved and Sealed Air. And so it kind of evolved into big companies. And we did that for about 10 years and kind of ran a, a light, normal life cycle. And, you know, anytime you focus on this kind of thing, you don't really working with a company. You know, I wasn't working with Michelin, really. I'm working with Ralph Holzman, right? And I'm not really working with Milliken. I'm working with really? the VP of Research, Chris DeSoja. And, and when they rotated to their next job or, you know, to the next company, it's like starting over. You know, there's no institutional memory in these big companies. And, and we got about 10 years into it, and it was getting a little bit long and leggy. And, and we hit a year where three or four of our contacts and our major anchors all left at the same time and my partner and I were a little bit burned out and we decided to declare victory <laughs> and I had a couple of people say well why did you do that I said well I wanted to do it while you're still asking that question I didn't want you to come one year and it'd be obvious <laughs> why why we were doing it and so I've gone and done a few other entrepreneurial things since then and um, like I said a couple of years ago started getting more interested in kind of building the regional innovation ecosystem and you know when 
when uh, the fellow at the BMW Information Technology Research Center said, we need South by Southwest and Greenville, I said, okay. And, and that started and that started the journey we're on now, and, you know, we'll take the first step next week, and, you know, hopefully we get some traction and can grow from there. Hopefully. Hopefully. Well, that's uh, that's been quite a, a journey. So I know you've uh, so you've definitely been involved in economic development around this area for a forty very, years, very long time, <laughs> a long time, <laughs> forty years, yeah, forty years. That's uh, that, that is an impressive well, track record, Tom. You know, some things have worked and some things have blown up on the pad. So <laughs> that's kind of the nature of it, right? Uh, Oh, that's that's how yeah. innovation works, right? You try something. If it works, you keep going. If it doesn't, I remember, you try I remember uh, what, one of the space early SpaceX launches. I was following Elon Musk on Twitter, and you know the, the rocket got a few feet off the pad and it exploded. And Musk on Twitter said, "Wow, wasn't that cool?" I mean, he just he just blew away <laughs> however many hundred million dollars. And his response was, wow, that was really cool. Now, how many CEOs in America would? <laughs> probably the first yeah. call would have been to the attorney. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Something, what was it? Something with, uh, I think it was with yeah. Starship. When that thing left it off, it, it, the very first time it blew up, and he said it was a, an unscheduled yeah, right. rapid disassembly. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> unscheduled rapid disassembly. That's right. <laughs> well, and he also, you know, he also was pretty cool about that. You know, he said, you know, we collected all the information we wanted to collect. You know, it'd have been nice if it had made it into orbit, exactly. but that wasn't really the objective this time. <laughs> I'm not sure in NASA knew yep. that <laughs> when they gave him a license, but, uh, you know, that's just the nature of it. And and I was talking to somebody earlier today, and, you know, I think the real way to to, to go through all of this is it's it's about learning, isn't it? It's, it's really about learning what works. And yeah. so if you try something and it doesn't work, that's not really a failure if you learn from it, you know, if you improve. Mm-hmm. And now you want to kind of limit your learning sometimes. You know, you don't want to blow up too many of these things. Uh, but if you really look at it that way and say, what did I learn from it? How do I do better next time? And in fact, do do better next time. Um, you know, then, then it can be, yeah. you know, good lessons. Absolutely. So you, so with as, as involved as you've been for as long as you have in trying to, to move things forward in the upstate, how did that become such a driver for you? Oh, I don't know. It's, why, why, why do you have a passion for anything you do? I mean, you know, my family's been in South Carolina since the 1700s, so, you know, I'm kind of rooted here. I, I was born in Anderson, grew up in Charleston, and, you know, went to Clemson, went to graduate business school at Georgia, and came to Greenville right out of college. So it was my first job, and I've been here ever since. Um, and, and I just, I do have kind of a passion for the region. I'd, I'd love to see us, uh, you know, get to the next level. Um, and, you know, I don't know. It's just, you know, some people like tennis and some people like play bridge. And this is what I like to do. I, uh, I have a friend that plays Wordle and wants me to do Wordle every morning so she can kind of compare her results. And I say, no, I, I work puzzles every morning. It's just <laughs> not that one. <laughs> exactly. Oh man! Well, so um, all right. So, Inventor's coming up September twenty right. second. You said, all right? And so, what so time gonna, is it start? Uh, Registration is going to open at eleven thirty, and then we're going to have okay. a networking lunch 
Uh, we'll, we'll kick it off about 12.30 or so. Um, the, the, you know, but we want people to come in, in, in time to get some lunch and meet everybody else. I mean, the networking here is a really important part of it. So, you know, get, get there 11.30, 11.45, something like that. And then we'll have a couple of hours of, um, of some of the inspirational presentations. Uh, then some of the big companies are going to you know, present what their needs are. And then we'll take another long break. And the presenters will go to high top tables, and so the audience will be able to, you know, know where to connect with the presenters if they, you know, wanted to have a conversation. We've done this in the past, and that worked really well, you know. So, so the the presentations are eight minutes and ten slides, and they're just back to back to back to back. There's no questions, no break in between them. So, there'll be about eight of them in a row, and we'll take this long break, and then we'll come back, and you know, we got a couple of other inspirational things. And then we got a really cool thing that um, the, the people that are there September the 22nd are actually going to help collaboratively put together the first draft of the agenda for the InnoVenture Futures Festival 2024. So we're going to do that. Really? Uh, we've got a little bit of secret That's sauce is how we're going to do it. We'll, we'll announce it that day. But we hope that everybody has a good time, you know, kind of working together on this and It'd be kind of get cool to get to the end of the day and you know we've got an agenda that was based on the input we got from the folks that were in the audience that day so uh, yeah it would be I, i've never heard of doing well it was kind of fun like we, we were in a planning meeting and um and we threw this idea out and there was somebody in the room a, a, a guy that's a ai guru and he came up to us afterwards he says you know i think i can do that for you <laughs> and so <laughs> He's, he's put together this application that we're going to use, and uh, it's kind of cool. I mean, we kind of said it flippantly, you know, wouldn't it be kind of neat? And he came up and said, yeah, well, I think I can do that. So, you know, it's a first draft. So, so maybe the agenda we can come up with is good. Maybe it's kind of crazy, but either way, it should be fun, and that's really what it's what we're trying to aim for there, something we can work together on during the day. Yeah. I like it. You're, you're trying to predict the future at a futures festival. So. Well, that's the theme of the festival, right? I mean, the best way to predict your future is to create it. Yep. And, you know, you can sit back and, you know, you, you, can, you can let events control you. Or, you know, you can step up and try to lead and, and you know, take control of the future. You can't, you know, you, you can't really. I like that. There's just so many serendipitous things that happen to us in life, both positive and negative. But, you know, the people who ultimately are the most successful are very intentional about it, right? And, you know, and, and tenacious. Yeah, I mean, true. they're going to be setbacks. And so, but if you have a goal, I mean, you know, Musk wants to put people on, the, on Mars. He's willing to tolerate a lot, yeah. of, a lot of explosions, <laughs> rapid deassemblies, <laughs> you know, to get there. <laughs> rapid unscheduled right. assemblies. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. So are there oh, any yeah. tickets left? Sure. There um, we'd love to have, you know, some more you know some more folks attend. We'll we'll probably shut registration down the day before, but yeah, there's there's, there's room for okay. you know other people to attend. And how much are the tickets um, this year? The seventy five dollars. Seventy five dollars. Okay. And and people can people can register for those yeah, on the website. The website is, so Innoventure.com and Innoventure.com. That's I N N O V E N Correct. And you can see the agenda and then you can register online. All right. Perfect. That's awesome. Uh so you uh I assume you're you're deeply 
paying attention to Clemson football this year. Oh, we're not going to talk about football, are we? We're <laughs> <laughs> in upstate Clemson South Carolina. Football football this year? Is that true? <laughs> well, they it's it's been predicted that they might play some football. I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting I guess we'll see that. in the next I'm, couple I'm weeks. I'm looking forward to it. That's, that's uh, you know, nah. You know, they had. What was they one of the wide receivers was number one on Sports Center this past week. Yeah, Camp Green, I think it was. You know, right? That was pretty cool. It's hard to bet against Dabo. You know, he's exactly. he's one of the better coaches in America, and I think people forget sometimes that you know these guys are eighteen, nineteen, twenty years old. Yeah, they're kids, right? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. You could say he's very intentional he is, and tenacious. He's about intentional it. and tenacious about it. I'm old enough to remember Danny Ford and winning that first national championship in 1981. And I remember watching the Danny Ford show one Sunday morning, and he said, "You think your job is hard?" He says, "My job depends on the performance of 18-year-olds on Saturday." <laughs> you know. And again, we kind of forget that, don't you? I mean, they got uniforms and helmets; yeah, they look yeah, like professionals, and. But you know they're still they're still kids and they get excited and they make mistakes and they turn the ball over and all kind of crazy. Nobody you know nobody how many times you tell them not to, and you know they're, they're student yeah. athletes. They're, so they got to go to class and they got to study and you know the guys playing on Sunday that's all they do, you know and that's not true of these guys in college. Yeah. So, uh, but Dabo Dabo will get them back. Well, I- I deeply appreciate you having the event on on a Friday and not on a football. <laughs> well, Saturday. nobody would come if we did it on a football Saturday. Well, here's here's the truth. Exactly. Uh, See, it, yeah. It's so here's the truth. That. I mean, <laughs> we we wanted to do it on a on a day, of course, when the Hyatt was available. But um, we're going to finish up about five thirty, and then you know, live music in Greenville um, downtown uh, is in Noma Square, which is right outside the Hyatt. So what we want people to do is hang around for an hour or two, listen to the live music downtown, you know, have a, a beverage of their choice uh, while they do that, maybe socialize a little bit. So we didn't schedule it around football, but we did schedule it around live music downtown. So, yeah. Nice. Nice. That's a, that's a really good idea. So is there anything else you'd like to talk about while we got you? You know, yeah. So I went to the uh, Next Venture Summit today and, and it was interesting yeah. you know in, in one sense um you know it's a pretty good community it's coming together it's much more mature than it was you know i, I mentioned i started an angel fund in, in 1993 i guess and you know i told some of my friends yeah. in venture south which is the angel fund today that if you think this is hard now you should have been doing it in greenville in 1993 <laughs> Um, <laughs> it was a lot different then, um, you know. I can and, that. You know, there was a presenter uh, this morning who was talking about Greenville and what a wonderful place Greenville is, and how you know smart, talented people are moving to Greenville and all. And he said, you know, these things just kind of happen. You know, you, you can't predict. You know, when a community is going to do this. And I'm sitting here thinking. No, <laughs> I remember being in visioning meetings 20, 25 years ago saying this is what we were going to be, right? And, and I'm not saying there was a playbook and a project yeah. management plan and everything got done perfectly. And, you know, there's, there's, there's things that happened we didn't expect and things we hoped for that hadn't quite been realized. But, you know, on the whole, the vector was right. And, and a lot of what's happened, yeah. you know, was a long time coming and, and a lot of 
creative imagination 20, 30, 40 years ago. And, you know. Oh, yeah. I'm, my, my first job out of college was working for, uh, for New right. Box Communication, which is mainstream now. And I worked in, at the. Uh, I worked at the, at the building that they used to have at the intersection of Main right. Street and Washington, which was right across the street from an old condemned uh, building that sat right. empty for years. And that's where the Greenville One building right. stands now. But for years, I mean, you had re, uh, you had this this old it was decomposing old, building uh, just sitting old, in the middle of downtown. Um, Woolworth store. It closed and yeah, was, yeah, yeah, it was dilapidated. And the interesting thing about that uh, building was it had been handed down through a couple of generations, and so it was owned by a whole lot of people, many of whom didn't live in Greenville anymore, and nobody quite knew who owned it all. Oh, yeah. You know, and so the guy that ultimately oh, really? uh, purchased it, you know, spent years tracking down all the individual owners and kind of putting the parts and pieces together, and and to, oh, you know, that's, that's why it took so long to fix that building, but. You know, I mean, that's a that's a good example of you can say, well, gosh, nobody saw that coming. But somebody spent years, you know, patching all that together. And, uh, uh, you know, a lot of, um, you know, the, the things in Greenville, I mean, Knox White's been mayor 26 years. And so you got Falls Park and you got Unity Park and, you know, a lot of the other green spaces and restaurants, Fleur, Fleur Field. Yeah. And, you know, he, he's provided a lot of leadership for that. And, and. You know, if you go down by the Hyatt across the street, there's a whole memorial to Max Heller, you know, who was mayor in the 70s. Yeah. And when you read, you know, some of those monuments, um, what you find out is Knox was president of the Greenville High School about that time. And, you know, he's he's working with Knox. Now, he left and went to Wake Forest College and then law school and, you know, circle back. But, you know, he was he was a young person involved in some of that, you know, while I was here. And so he kind of caught that vision and, you know, it's turned out to, you know, do a good job. Now, you know, it wasn't perfect, right? I mean, there's not everything worked. I mean, there were some lawsuits. People got ticked off and, um, you know, I mean, we, we remember all the good things, but, you know, it, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a straight line, that's for sure. And it still isn't. I mean, there's people that are critical about, you know, what's happened now. I mean, I, I walk about five or six miles a day and I take photos with my phone and I post a photo every day to Facebook, mostly just to do something positive every morning rather than groan about what's going on. Yeah. <clears throat> but it, it strikes me, I can take a picture of downtown that I just think is a pretty picture and, and folks will say, that's just not my Greenville, you know, older folks, that's just not my Greenville, that's not the Greenville I grew yeah. up in, you know, I don't know that place anymore. And it just strikes me that there's just so much nostalgia because when I got here, the Greenville they're talking about was dead. <laughs> you know? And yeah, uh, yeah. It, it went I really got up here in the so industry. they're talking about something that was 10, 20 years before that. And, um, and but it, you know, Grandmama went downtown with them and you know bought them ice cream and they went to the Army Navy store and that's what they remember as a kid. And, and but you know what it's turned into yeah. today. That's that's not I, I had you know Main Street today has these beautiful tree lined you know this green canopy. I've had people look oh, yeah. at old pictures of Greenville when it, you know Main Street was a four lane four lane highway and said that's really what it should be. 
You know, I mean, they, they regret that it was narrowed and it turned very pedestrian. I'm saying, really? I mean, do you look at those two That's pictures shocking. and you want the one that <laughs> looks so much industrial and you don't like the one we have today? But yeah, I can't even imagine what would well, be the it's point just, of that. It's <laughs> just not the Greenville they grew up in, right? And, and, and my only point is, you know, anytime you're making progress, anytime, anytime you're doing something different, it's not a straight line and not everybody's on board. You know, it, it, uh, yeah. you, you, you got to overcome the naysayers, the doubters, and the cynics. That's the hardest part. And, and, and maybe the, you know, the lesson of my yeah. career is yeah, I've done a lot of stuff and I've had a lot of people tell me I'm crazy and maybe, maybe I am. But just being persistent and tenacious and, you know, moving forward in, in spite of the naysayers, the cynics, and the doubters, that, it's just, it wears you down sometimes. And so, you know, I told you about intervention wrapping up and yeah. it's taking a little bit of a, of a break, more than a little bit, a few years. You kind of circle back to it now, but you oh, know, yeah. you can kind of circle back with a renewed sense of energy, you know, because you've been able to kind of decompress from that for a while. And, and it's yeah. Well, I mean, you're doing it at a good time oh, too, yeah. because there was that COVID break in the middle where everything shut down, and so now it's a perfect opportunity for well, everything it's a perfect, to come back. I mean, you know, Clemson's got a new Elevate strategic plan. ICAR just got a hundred million dollar grant from the Army. You know, they're they're uh, wow. to develop off-road autonomous vehicles. The CUI car students Deep Orange project is an off-road autonomous vehicle. Um, there's a major corporation yeah, in town. They haven't quite announced it yet that, that's interested in building a, a big innovation campus um, in Greenville. Um, probably, hmm. Was that Crescent? Is that Crescent? They haven't announced what they're doing yet. <laughs> Oh, well, they, they announced it because they're hosting the next Carolina Code Conference in August. Um, but it, but, but, so they, they were the big sponsors for, for, I mean, for us, so we got to well, talk about um, it a lot. You know, the, the, uh, Mark Ferris, who's president of the Greenville Area Development Corporation, is, is retired. And so I think the board of the GADC is now kind of thinking about how to re reimagine economic development in Greenville County. I mean, we one reality is there are no more large manufacturing sites in the county. So we got to do something different, so, you know, more innovative and creative. And one of the things we want to do with the Futures Festival is not only have something here, but if you can imagine all the global relationships organizations here. I mean, you know, the people that BMW know around the world, or ZF, or Bosch, or, you know, Clemson. I mean, the oh, ICAR yeah. professors, and people, and, and Upstate Alliance, and the Greenville Area Development Corporation, and the Anderson Economic Development. You know, if, if everybody, you know, if we had this festival of festivals here and everybody began to reach out to their global relationships, you know, and, and maybe some of it is people physically coming here, maybe some of it is, you know, online and, and video and, you know, we really start to engage a global community and pick something where we're distinctive. Yeah. And, I, and I think that has to do with uh, advanced manufacturing. I mean, you know, we've got best in class manufacturing Certainly. and supply chains here. Uh, mobility, you know, with iCar and Michelin and BMW. I mean, the, you know, the actual product itself, not just the manufacturing technology, but the product itself. You know, and and I think we can right. position ourselves as as best in class in the world. And it's one of those things people around the world will look at us and say, well, that makes sense. You know, the biggest BMW plant in the world there, Michelin North America is here. You've got these tier one suppliers all around that. You got University International Center Automotive Research and you know, supporting technologies like AI and, and machine learning at Clemson, material material science. And yeah. so, you know, I, 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 to your point, I think a lot of things are coalescing and coming together 
that if we can really get people to cooperate, and this is what I hope comes out of the inaugural Innovation Futures Festival, is we get people in the room that maybe are meeting each other for the first time, and we can walk out of that with a consensus that, you know, a year from now, let's have a festival of festivals, multi-day event where lots of different organizations are participating in plant tours or technology demonstrations or music festivals or independent film festivals and you know yeah. people are coming here and say hey this is really this is really cool and I, I just think it's an exceptional opportunity if we can, we can really get people it to really participate is. so um, that's that has been one of the more interesting things that I've, I've kind of gotten to observe because as Greenville has has uh, I don't want to say modernized but but maybe beautified it's been attracting a lot more people that downtown is such a fixture that everybody talks about. And it's just, it, it's almost like walking through a work of art. I, I walk, man, I've worked in, in downtown full time for, for eight years um, of my career. And it, what I always found interesting was that it didn't matter what the weather was like outside. It was always nice on main street. <laughs> Every time of year, you, you, you couldn't even explain it. It was just a nice place. Well, to one be of the things I really love about living here and, uh, is there's four seasons. You know, it's a little bit hot in the summer, <laughs> and then you have the fall, which is beautiful with the trees. It gets a little bit cold oh, yeah. in the winter, and then you have the spring, and beautiful with everything blooming and mm -hmm. turning green. And, you know, uh, in a lot of places where it's just really hot or it's just really cold, and we have four seasons here and, that are, you know, delightful. For the most part, and uh, I really like yeah, it. And, we really do. Um, you know, I do. I do think there's things are coming together. You know, and I, when that happens, so that's happened. That's a lot happened of people a couple of times here. in my career where the where the stars just aligned, and you really can't make that happen, but you just kind of have to ride that wave when it comes. You know, you got to recognize it and see it, and you know, and, and take it for a ride, and. Um, and we're we're at one of those moments. Absolutely. You talked about you know people coming to Greenville, so I can remember some of these visioning you know events I was involved in, um, where you know we were trying to attract talented, educated people. Well, today in the city of Greenville and in the yeah. Five Forks area of Greenville County, educational attainment and per capita income is comparable with Raleigh, North Carolina, and Austin, Texas, and that's happened just in the last little bit. It's like wow. You'll be careful what you ask for, right? And, yeah, you know, that creates some issues. I mean, they bring disposable income and they drive up real estate prices. And, you know, that creates some problems for some people that have lived yep. here a long time. And so there's, you know, there's kind of two sides to that. But when people start complaining about, um, you know, real estate prices going up and whatnot, it's like we, we need to take care of that. We got, in particular, we need to make sure that, you know, the, the, the people that do the service jobs have the ability to live close to the city, right? I mean, oh, you yeah. know, the, 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 the people that, you know, do the cleaning, the people that work in the restaurants, the first responders, the teachers. I mean, all those folks have to be able to live here, too. So we got to make sure that we have a community. But we also need to recognize that what's causing the problem is a whole lot of smart, educated, affluent people are moving here. And that's a good thing. You yep, know, that's, a, that's we work really hard to make that happen. And yeah. yep, that was one of the most interesting things for our uh, for our conference for the uh, the Carolina Code Conference. We had so many programmers and who have moved to this area, taking advantage of the remote work option. 
they you hear about these companies all over the country that are these um, that these huge national brands that these unicorn type companies and and a bunch of a bunch of senior people that work for these companies yeah. live right here in Greenville because Greenville's where they wanted to live. So when they got the option to to work remote, they said, "I'm moving to Greenville, and I'll I'll zoom I'll zoom in and and you know hop in on Slack and commit my code remotely and all that. We can." You know, we're good at this. Well, there's a lot, a lot of people it. that you know now you have, have children companies. and they now have families, and maybe they were in big cities and not a place where they want to raise their families, and so they're looking for someplace else. And yeah. for whatever reason, they came to Greenville for something, and they said, "Wow, this is cool." To your point, I mean, it, maybe it was just one trip or, or so, and, and they decided, "Hey, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna do that." And you hear that story a lot. Um, of, of people that are, are just here and that becomes a self-fulfilling reality right kind of kind of the more people that do that the more compelling it becomes for the next people and, and it don't work for everybody again I mean yeah. if you're if you've been here a long time and you're not really into the change you know you can it can be uncomfortable and, and I understand that and you know um, but I mean I think on the whole it's really it's positive. I mean, you're either growing and getting better, or you're declining. I mean, I don't think you can just stand still. And I've I've been here when it was in decline. I, you know, it was kind of a dead textile town when I first moved here, and that isn't what we want to be. And so I think no. I think what's happening is just pretty. Well, there's it is 72,000 people that live in the city today. There's 550,000 live in the county, but the city itself is pretty small. But 10 years ago, there was only like 57,000 people. So there's like 15,000 people more that have moved here in the last decade. Well, a population of 57,000 people, that's a lot, right? That's a big percentage increase. And, you know, then you, then you think, okay, well, you know, over the next 10 years, you're going to get another 20 or 25,000 people. So where are all they going to go? So that's, that's why you see all the cranes in the construction, <laughs> all the apartments going up, you know, because a lot of people moving here and, and need a place to live. I, and I think not only that, I mean, there's people that are moving out to the suburbs, but I think there's also a kind of a new urban culture developing. I live downtown, and I'm very pedestrian. I walk almost everywhere I go. I'm fortunate that, you know, most of what I need, I live a couple blocks from a grocery store, and you know, when I went to the next Venture Summit today, I walked over there and, you know, um, to walk to the Peace Center and things like that. And and that's a that's a different, you know, I spent 35 years out in the suburbs and you couldn't walk anywhere. You went anywhere. You had to get in your car. And I think more people get accustomed to that, um, the more are going to like it. I've, I've made that comment to people that, um, you, you know, the, the level of educational attainment and, and per capita income now matches Austin and Raleigh. And I've had people say, yeah, a lot of retired people have now moved to Greenville. And I've said, you know, I walk five or six miles a day. You, you go to Gather Greenville, you go to the Commons, you see a lot of young people in baby strollers. Now, there may be dogs in those baby strollers, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's a lot of young professionals. And it's really encouraging, you know, when you see that. And, and it's also pretty diverse, you know. I mean, you go to you go to Unity Park, and, and it's you know pretty diverse population of people there, and that's very it encouraging is. as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, we were talking about kind of that urban lifestyle that I think 
you you were talking about working remotely, and, and that's one aspect of yeah. it. But I think even more than that, it's just you know living in a more dense area and being able to to walk or ride a bike, you know, where you want to go and, and get into a car less. And yeah, I was actually talking to uh, to a programmer the other day who was um, you know talking to me about his e-bike. Yeah, and how committed he is to to live in that e-bike lifestyle. Right. And I know a lot of people that do more, that. More and more people, you know, and I think the Swamp Rabbit Trail is a big part of that, you know. Um, yeah, and it definitely. Is. So definitely as, is. as more of the trails get built, you know, now you can go all the way from ICAR all the way north of Traveler's Rest. Yeah. And having Hencappy around here kind of helped a lot with that, too. Kind of put a face to a lot of it. Absolutely. And, you know, in Boyd Cycling, being here and uh, being such a yeah. player in uh, bicycle uh, wheels and rims and you know there was a new bicycle yeah. uh, company that's I think located in Landrum and I, and I saw the folks with Boyd here in the last day or so and they told me they were involved in recruiting them here so you're right coming kind really? of a, a bicycle mecca not only for training but now and just in terms of the parts and pieces of the bicycles themselves and so yeah I live out here in Easley and they and they did a the doodle trail out here. It was kind of the same idea. Took up an old railroad track and, and did a bike trail that goes all the way from downtown Easley to Pickens. And uh, I think the goal is eventually to connect it to the Swamp Rabbit Trail. Okay, it'd be quite a hike from Easley to the Swamp Rabbit Trail. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, now it goes all the way from downtown Easley. It used to it used to stop, but now they run it through the cemetery, but goes to Pickens. Yeah, so yeah. It, it's a uh, it's about. Uh, five miles? How far is it from Easley to Pickens? Um, Easily to Pickens? Five, five miles, miles sounds right. Yeah, because I mean, I've actually walked from Pick from Easley to Pickens and back. Uh, oh, we have technology. I'm going to look it up right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've walked from Greenville to Traveler's Rest and back. Now, you know, that's a 20 miles round trip. You you know you've been walking that day. <laughs> Wait, you've walked yeah. that? Why? Now I'm curious. Seven point seven. I mean, miles. you know, some people just insist on the pain. I guess. No, I I really enjoy walking. And when I, when I walk by myself, I listen to books. So, and oh, yeah. so I walk about an hour and a half a day, and I listen to an audio book while I do it. So it's kind of a you know double duty. It helps me stay fit. But I mean, uh, you know, just any recommendations? Excuse me. Any audiobook recommendations? I've kind of started doing that myself. Well, I've just started uh, Walter Isaacson's book on uh, Elon Musk, so I'm just a, a day oh, into it. Any of his books are great. You know, Steve Jobs and Ben right. Franklin and, and Innovators and all that. Uh, I love him. Um, I've been into Churchill lately. I uh, uh, listened to a biography of Churchill. Now I'm on to the history of the English-speaking really? people. and. Well, something that people don't really realize about Churchill was he made a lot of money as a writer. He published a lot of books. He actually won a Nobel Prize in literature. Really? Yeah. yeah. I did he, not was, uh, he says he's not a professional historian, but he's a pretty good historian. And, and like yeah. Isaacson, a good storyteller, you know? And so yeah. maybe maybe isn't as comprehensive as a academic historian would be but he tells a good story and he actually admits that right he in, in the in the beginning of the history of English speaking people he says you know what what's in here are the things that were important to me <laughs> you know in telling the story uh, th there's a great there's a great uh, biography of the Wright brothers um, that, that I that I really liked and 
you know, I love getting anecdotes out of these things. So one of the things I took away from that is you know, these guys, um, their father was educated and, and had a pretty good library in the house they grew up in. So they were kind of homeschooled. That's what we would call it today. But they didn't go to college. Yeah. And so they became, you know, um, they opened their bicycle shop and they were pretty good mechanics. They wrote to what was the modern equivalent of the National Weather Service, you know, you know, the turn of the 1900s, and they ordered weather maps, wind maps. And so they methodically picked Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, because it was a combination of the winds and the sand that they could crash into and not get hurt. And then they go down there and there's this authority in the world, this French uh, authority who's you know, in aviation and he's got the books of statistics and, you know, and, uh, you know, how, how um, aviation works. Of course, he's never flown, right? And so the Wright brothers are out doing their tests in Kitty Hawk with their Wright flyer and their data is not matching his. And because he was the authority, they just thought they were doing something wrong for the longest time. <laughs> And of course, today we know their data was right and his was wrong. <laughs> uh, and I just love stuff like that, right? I mean, that's just that, you know, as successful as they were early on, what held them back was their own head trash, you know? They got the data right in front of them, but they just can't quite believe, you know, that they've discovered somebody, something that nobody else in the world knew. There's a lesson in there somewhere. Yeah, well, there's a lesson for all of us in that, right? I mean, you know, yeah. have the courage of your convictions. and But that's so hard to do. I mean, it's just, you know, to go contrary to the herd. Well, I, mm -hmm. you know, it's what makes Warren Buffett Warren Buffett, right? I mean, what he does is not complicated. I mean, when everybody's panicking and selling, he buys. And when everybody's over-exuberant, he sells. That's a, a very easy thing to say. But when there's blood in the water, man... It is hard to bet everybody else is wrong, <laughs> you know? Well, the the key to the Warren Buffett thing, too, is he buys when everybody else is selling, but he buys where he's got a tremendous amount of confidence <clears throat> and how the company's run, how the company's operated. So well, it's, that was one of the things. I got really deeply into investing over the last couple of years, and I ended up reading all sorts of all sorts of this stuff. And uh, one, of my, one of my favorite bits from it is, you know, kind of the stuff they don't tell you. The whole you know, buy low, sell high, but sometimes you're just buying low into something that's just going to keep going lower. <laughs> it's it's a matter of uh, of knowing where to put the money, and he's putting it in uh, into very strong, reliable companies where he's looking at it, and going, "There's no reason for this company to be priced." Well, at one time, the big, the best investment he had was Coca Cola, and he used to say he understood sugar water. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Now I think the most money, and, and he was notoriously not a technology investor. Now, ironically, his yeah. best performing investment has been Apple. And yeah, you know, he, pretty sure that's almost everybody's best performing a, a moat, right? They want to invest in something where there's a moat yeah. around it. And in both Coca-Cola and Apple, that moats the brand. I mean, you know, Apple's a cult. And so, you know, if you're an oh, Apple yeah. person, you know, you're just going to buy the next generation Apple products and. You want all, the whole, do them all work yeah. together. And that's really I did that for a solid 10 years. I understand. I was that guy. There was actually, I forget what the, what the publication was, but there was a, you know, remember when the Mac versus PC commercials yeah. were out? 
Those were those were always really entertaining. The I'm a Mac, I'm a PC thing. They had an original um, PC. Nice. Well, they did. Uh, there was a publication in downtown Greenville that needed somebody to be on the cover of the uh, of the Mac PC thing. They were going to have a like a Mac guy and a PC guy doing a local version of that. I was the Mac guy because I wouldn't shut up about Mac so much back then. I had an original I PC. Linux it came with DOS and seven years. It didn't even have a spreadsheet. Yeah. It was VisiCalc came out after that. That's how that's how long I've been doing this. And and when I was in college, we had um, trash eighties. I don't know if you remember that, but trash eighties. The first personal computer, uh, TRS eighty. Uh, so the first personal computer. I oh, oh TRS eighty. Okay. You, nice. The, the output nice. was printed. Yeah, I remember my uncle telling me about doing punch cards back in the oh, day. No, I've done. My dad was a CE, a customer engineer for IBM. So when I was little, we used to go to the Charleston Navy Yard, and he'd let me punch cards. Now we, I wouldn't program anything, but I definitely. And when I was in college, the first you know computer science class I took. You know, we punched cards to do the first program, and we ran it through the card reader, and the professor said, now you've done it. You'll yep. never see it again. <laughs> and so that was kind of, I was kind of, but, nice. you know, um, I'm, I'm really a little bit early in the PC revolution, you know, because it was not really, like I said, the, the IBM PC, I, was, I guess I was in graduate school when it was released, but I didn't, you know, I got one. When I got, I started at KPMG. That's what I came to Greenville for. And the New York office had forced the Greenville office to buy one, and it was in the corner. They hadn't even opened it. And I opened the thing, and there was a the Tax Reform Act of '81 had passed, and there was a an election you could make to get tax credits for something. And I wrote a little basic program to decide, you know, for a client whether they should take this election or not. And I just remember the people in the office kind of hovering around me, and it was like, you know, the Pacific Islanders that had seen, you know, airplanes flying over in World War II, and it was like the cargo cult, you know? And they were all just standing there, just amazed that this thing would actually do anything. And then, you know, it wasn't too long after that, a VisiCalc came out, and that was really the game changer. That was the first spreadsheet. But it was a, you almost had to program it. I mean, it was like slash commands. You know, if you wanted to save something, slash save or slash copy. You know, there was no pull down menus. That was Lotus one two three, and that didn't happen for, you know, a few years. And the first PC didn't have a hard drive in it either. It was floppy disks. You know, that's right. That's right. I remember. See, I was a kid when those when those were coming out, and I remember having the uh, playing games where you had to put in the next disc to if you move from one screen to the other and there was they, they had all these little puzzle games called i think were king's quest and yeah. stuff and you had to just walk around and solve puzzles and if you went too far to the right you'd have to you know put in disc four well, you know, <laughs> and you walk back to the left put you back out when again. i was a kid going out you know the my dad you know with my dad on this big ibm mainframe you know the floppy disks were you know nine inches i think and they really were floppy, right? And then, of course, with the PC, oh, they're yeah. five and a quarter inch, and they're kind of floppy, you know? And then by the time my son comes along, and, you know, it was mid-90s before he was old enough to play with it, this, you know, th three, and, three and a half inch hard, you know, diskettes. And I remember him looking at me yeah. one day and saying, why do they call them floppies? <laughs> I mean, he never, you know, he'd never seen one before. What he knew is they were all little... Hard plastic covers, and, and and kids today they they wonder why is that the same? Why is that the same button? That's exactly <laughs> right. I, I was about to say that there's an icon up there, 
and they have no idea yep. what that icon is. They've never seen it. Yeah, but what, like if, if you have one of those discs sitting on your desk for some reason, they're like, why do you have a, a picture of the save button on your desk? <laughs> well, you know, and the problem with some of that stuff now is you don't have any hardware that can read it anymore. I mean, you can yeah. have all that. Unless you've kept it around, which geeks like me do. I've got a whole closet full of old stuff that my wife wants me to get rid of. But well, and, and <laughs> you never know when you're going to need to take a wire out of it. I've been to conferences where, you know, they would hand out stuff on a CD. I don't have a CD drive anymore. So I, yep. I, I mean, I literally can't, I can't play it anywhere. And, uh, that's just, every time that happens, that has to be an older person. <laughs> Cause there's no, well, no, I mean, speaking no, of Apple, I remember Steve Jobs did that, right? I mean, Steve Jobs did that, right? He was the one that, you know, when they, they first released an updated, uh, version of the, the MacBook that didn't have a, a CD drive in it anymore. And it was huge waves, and nobody had ever done that before, and people were completely freaking out well, about it. Time you, well, how are you going to upgrade it? How are you going to call it? <clears throat> yeah, he had, he had, a, he had yeah. a pretty good sense that he knew more than everybody else. So, well, when the first time he, yeah, he uh, obsoleted something in <laughs> an Apple product. Yeah. All right. I just got another ridiculously loud thunderclap over here, so we should probably right. wrap this Listen, up. Listen, I really appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time, and I've enjoyed the conversation. And I appreciate what you're doing. Code School is, that. you know, important. And no, I'm not with Code School. Oh, I'm sorry. What's this called? Nope. Carolina Code Conference. Code Conference. Okay. I took, so I'm, I see, I, I'm, I'm just run, I'm just running running a conference. So no, okay. that that no, that's fine. I th there you go. There's th I made a mistake. I'll edit that stuff. out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know what you're doing. I just called it the wrong thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah I understand. I, I started the Carolina Code Cast because, specifically, because I was, you know, I had all these uh, applications for people to speak at the conference, yeah. and we only had so much time, and I wanted to include a lot of them, and there just wasn't room. Yeah, uh, and because we, we did a one day format, and we're going to do a two day format. We still got 16 of them in, but there were 83 total submissions. And I was like, I, I really want to hear more from these people. So I decided, you know, let's start a podcast. And I'm going to start interviewing some of them uh, very, very soon. Well, but uh, we'll do that after we, we get the word out about InAdventure. Yeah. Well, that's good. Uh, I mean, thank, thank you for doing that. That's important. All right. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks a lot, John. Oh, and, and I, I almost forgot. I have to give one quick shout out. Thanks to Herd Media for helping teach me how to do this uh, this podcast thing. Herd Media right here in Greenville. Uh, they uh, helped me set up the Carolina Codecast in the first place, and they're coaching me through exactly what I need to be doing to get this thing right. It's good to be so, part of that. Shout out to Herd Media. Thank you very much. Yep. All right. Well, thanks Ciao. a lot, John. Bye. Have fun in the swamp. Thanks for sticking with us for this very special edition of the Carolina Codecast. Uh, thanks again to Herd Media for all of your advice and help in getting this podcast off the ground. If you're ever looking to start a podcast uh, or need some advice in, in how to use the various tools that are involved, go check out Trust Herd. This has been the Carolina Codecast, extended edition. Mm -hmm.